Chris Payne, I'm the lead pastor here. If this is your first time here, oh my gosh. Oh my God, longtime friends. Uh, that's awesome. Hey, so today we are continuing in our series called 100 Years From Now. This is part seven. If you've been here from the beginning, we've been doing our small groups in this whole book and series. It's a book written by Steve Merle, who's a part of Every Nation Church. He's our president of Every Nation Church, which is the churches and organization that we are a part of at City Life Church. And we have churches in over 80 countries all around the world. It's so amazing to see God bring people all together from all ethnicities, all different diversity is such a beautiful thing in every nation. And he wrote this book to really explain what it is that we believe, what we're after, who we are as a church. And so we've been looking at it, studying it, going over, of course, with number one, the scripture involved, and talking about some different aspects of 100 years from now. From the first time, the very first part one that we hit, we kind of told our story as a church and how God has used our church and what he's doing from the beginning, even up until now. And God, how, how God is building and doing things within the context of our church and how just like the domino effect, as you see on the screen, a hundred years from now, many of you are not going to be alive. Maybe some of you might be cloned. I don't know what's going to happen in the future. Hopefully not. Jesus, no. But we know that we want our life to have a trajectory today where it's not just a blip on the radar, but it moves and does something beyond just us. In fact, when the scripture talks about people and God even refers and people refer to God, they will say this, that he is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God is all about the generations and not just stopping in one moment or in one form, but continually moving forward. And I don't know about you, but I know I want my life to matter. Do you want your life to matter? I want my life to matter beyond just the little bit that I have. I'm about to hit, my wife hit level four because she's 40 now, level four uh, last week. And I'm going to hit level four in a few months. Yes, you know, I married up. And so uh, I know I'm about halfway through life here and I want my life to matter beyond me and beyond just a little bit that I have to offer. But the only way it'll matter is if I ultimately submit it to the one who matters and to his kingdom, his righteousness, his rule and his reign. And he will allow me to leave a legacy even if it's just one person in front of me and the next person. That's what we want. And that's what this series is all about. And that's what we're trying to teach and help you think about life even just beyond you and the legacy you're going to leave. So we talked about our story. We talked about what it means to be in community and that we're better together. You cannot leave a legacy on your own and you weren't meant to be an island. And so we talked about that. We also talked about what do we mean when we say honor God? What do we mean when we say Christ-centered? This is what we're passionate about, being Christ-centered, spirit-empowered, and socially responsible. So we've been talking about all of these different things. Today, I want to talk about what it means to be a disciple or to make disciples as Jesus commissioned us to do. Before we get into that, I want to talk about an atrocity that occurred back in May that had the internet and Twitter and everything just going crazy. People were upset and frustrated because of the things going on in our culture. And this thing was the makers of Uno, Mattel, came out and tweeted that if you have a draw four, you cannot place a draw two on it and make the person draw six next to you. And this became 
a travesty for all of those people that have fought and had tears and had split up their family on holidays because they played the game the wrong way. In fact, it was so crazy. I believe it was like May 4th, May 5th, something like that. They officially came out and said, this is how to play. And people got to Twitter and were like, no, we're going to do it my way. And they're telling the people who created the game how to play the game. And it's so funny if you've ever played a game. I know we like, we like to play cards. We'll play with our family. Um, before Netflix, when my wife was pregnant with our first child 16 years ago, we were playing cards because we had nothing else to do. Um, no Netflixing, no doing those things. And so we're playing cards and actually talking to each other. Isn't that crazy? Looking at each other. And we're playing cards one other. And one thing I learned really quickly is you don't want to play cards, or I should say, you don't want to beat, this is my wife in the front row, you don't want to beat a pregnant woman in cards. Because she literally threw the cards in my face, and we stopped playing. Um, And we are kind of competitive. We are kind of competitive when it comes to that. And this is what happens. She's saying fake news. That's not true. This is actual truth. But you've ever played a game or competitive, and when people like just make up the rules as they go, you ever started a game with your family, and they're just sitting there going, oh, no, we'll figure it out as we go. And then it's amazing the rules they make up for their advantage all of a sudden. No, you can do that. Sure. When there's actually rules and guardrails and boundaries and definitions in the way to play the game or the way to do something, It's so crazy that after a while, we can lose the meaning and what it is, and we just kind of come up with whatever we want. And it actually makes us more frustrated, and it destroys the purity of the game. As we're talking today about making disciples, I feel like it's very important for us in a world where words hardly mean anything, right? Everything is awesome, Everything, right, is amazing. And so when you actually see something besides a cat video that is actually, you say, awesome, amazing, and then something actually awesome happens, we don't have words for it. We just throw out words just don't have meaning anymore, and they lose their definition. I feel like the word disciple has lost its meaning. And a lot of reason because we don't use this term. It's, it's an ancient phrase, but it has a specific meaning. But if we all have different ideas of what it is, we can get really frustrated, especially as a church. When we stand up here and we say every week, we are a church that honors God and makes disciples. And if everybody has their own rules to what that is, we're all confused. We're all going, well, does the church really make disciples? Because I'm not being blank. Or they don't have this ministry for me, and so that's not happening. Or I don't feel like a disciple. We all have different rules to the game, and yet we have a book. We have a scripture. We have a Bible. We have a Lord that defines some of these terms and what he means by discipleship. I want to do that today. And I want to first of all get straight into... Luke chapter 14, and see what Jesus says a little bit about discipleship. One thing you need to understand is, again, we don't use this term as much, and so we're going to give some different ideas of what this means. But 
Discipleship ultimately, as Jesus says, is an invitation to a journey. It's following him. It's following his way. Not just some of the things that we make it out to be, but it's ultimately a journey. Think of like Frodo on a journey to Mordor for all you nerds, right? And, and along the way, they go in different paths because of Smeagol, right? And just they're, they're stuck because Smeagol knows what he's doing and takes them on a different path and a journey. And life is like that. We're all heading in a direction and we're all going somewhere. But who or what are we following That's what it means to be a disciple. Let's see what Jesus says a little bit. Luke 14, verse 25 says this. Now, great crowds accompanied him, Jesus, and he, Jesus, turned and said to the crowds, to them, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life. He cannot be my disciple. Whoa, Jesus. Remember this, Jesus didn't get killed because he was really, really nice. He got killed because of his way that was so diametrically opposed to the ways of the rest of the culture that they had to kill him and wanted to kill him. You understand this. Verse 27, whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king going out to encounter another king in war will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So, therefore... Any of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. We're not going to get into every, we love to teach the word upon word and exegetical. We love to do that, but we're not going to do that with this passage right now. But I, I do want to make sure we qualify. He's not saying that you have to hate your brother. He's saying, in the, in the way that you love me, in comparison to how you love me, you should hate everything else. That's what it means to follow me in my way. That's how extreme he's saying. This is not just a tutorial. This is not just a program. This is not just a little bit of your life. This is everything to follow me. I need everything if you want to come after me. And this is how he starts to help frame discipleship. Another scripture, John 6, 66 through 69 says this. After this, now let me qualify this. Jesus has just got done saying a really hard saying where he says, if you want to come after me, you have to eat my flesh and drink my blood. Like we understand what that means a little bit more now in this context of him dying on a cross and his blood saving us from sin. But at the time they're going, wow, this is a hard teaching. And it says this, after this, many of his, what's the word there? Disciples, we're going to come back to that. Turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the 12, 
do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Before we define what it is that we believe the Bible says and we as a church define and have the rules for what it means to be a disciple, I want to debunk some of the myths of what we think of when we think of disciple. Number one, what a disciple is not. It is not leadership development. A lot of times we read the Bible and we think, okay, Jesus was a rabbi, right, a teacher, and he instructed these 12 people to follow him, and he had these 12 people. And so those were his disciples, and that's true, okay. But a lot of times we think, okay, if that's the case, if I'm called to be a disciple, if I'm called to make disciples according to the Great Commission, if this is what I'm called to do as a Christian, I must, if Jesus had 12, I guess I need to be a part of a 12 or go be mentored under somebody that 12 and be leadership development, like develop me into a leader. And so, or I need to get 12 people max and I need to, because that's what Jesus did, right? He just had 12 disciples. And so we're going to do this and leadership development and we're going to change the world with these 12. The problem with this is that Jesus had much more than just 12 disciples, and you know this when we actually think about it. So it actually debunks the idea of leadership development alone. Does discipleship involve leadership development? Yes, but it's not that alone. John 6.66, if we read, says this. After this, many of his, as we said, disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. He had more than just the 12. They were a conglomerate of leadership with the people, other people that followed him. Thus, as we read earlier, he stands up and he says, if anyone wants to follow me, in other words, this is the invitation. You don't have to be this tall to ride the ride and this spiritual. All you have to do is be willing to give up your own life, which is a great, great calling. God, all I need is nothing and no one seems to have it. Because we want to put God in our debt by doing the things that we do. And that's not the gospel of Jesus. The gospel is not what we do, but it's what has been done and what Jesus does. And I just simply go, I've got nothing to offer. And he goes, amen. But I want you. Oh, wow. That's someone I give my life to. Because I'm not putting God in my debt. God, I've done all these things for you. So now you owe me blank. That's not discipleship. You've already done all these things. I owe you everything because of what you've done, because of who you are, Jesus. I'll follow you. And as Peter said, who else has the words of life? Another example of this, just to qualify biblically what I'm talking about, that discipleship isn't just leadership development, and there weren't just 12 disciples. Luke 10, 38 through 39 says this, and a woman named Martha welcomed Jesus, him, into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teachings. We go by this super, super fast a lot of times, but you know maybe if you've been around church, the story of Martha and Mary, and Martha's kind of going crazy and not helping serve everybody and get food ready for the disciples and for Jesus and for those 12. And Mary's sitting there sitting at the feet, and Martha's like, tell her to help me. She should not be sitting at your feet. She's a woman. Listen, Jesus didn't say, you're right, start serving. Go home. Didn't say that. 
What did Jesus say? She picked the right thing and she could sit at my feet. Sitting at my feet was a colloquial used for being a disciple. Sitting and learning and teaching. Women can be disciples too. And women were disciples at Jesus' time. Not just the 12. And a disciple, we're going to talk about what it is. But it's not just leadership development. It is a call to pick up your cross and follow Jesus. Look at this. Discipleship is not a program or a study. How many times have you seen like, come join our discipleship program or you go through a program and at the end of that 12 weeks, you're like, I'm a disciple. No. That is part of being a disciple. It's what we do. But doing that program or that thing or going through that class does not make you a disciple. And how many of us, like we think of discipleship, okay, here's the path of discipleship. Jesus says, follow me. We're going on a journey together that's going to take your whole life and all that you are. Here's what we're going to do. Go to church on Sunday, read and pray every morning, and give. And how many of us, like, that's the path. Okay, that's what I'm doing. In 30 years from now, you're going to go, I don't feel that much transformed. Because Jesus says, it's more than just a program or a few rules to follow. It's giving me everything. Discipleship is everything. And it will cost you everything, but it will give you life. As he says, I am the way, the path, the truth that leads to the life. The life you really want is when you give it up for me. So it's not just a program or a study. So this is where we kind of make discipleship um, the idea of just a student. Like I'm a student and I have a professor that I really enjoy and I go to his class two hours a week and I love his book and I read it. But listen, you're not just a student as a disciple. You don't want to just know what he knows or the expertise. You want to be who he is. That's a disciple. And that's what Jesus calls do you understand the dignity that gives you as a human being when Jesus says, if you want to come to me, you can be like me. Not that you're going to be God, but he wants to put in you himself to be able to do the things that he's called you to do. It's so much bigger than a program or a study. Although those are helpful and that's a part of the way. Another thing. A lot of times, I think we could confuse and we could think, and we say this a lot, like discipleship. And immediately when you think discipleship, you can do this, especially in every nation, in our ministry a lot, is a one-on-one mentorship. So people will come in and go, I'm not being discipled. I'm just not being discipled. And what they mean is that no one is mentoring me one-on-one. And listen, one-on-one mentorship is a part of discipleship, but it's not discipleship alone. Because if it was, again, that's a program. And so a lot of times you can hear, we're here, honor God, make disciples. And you go, well, no one's discipling me. Okay. The word disciple in the Greek is not a verb. It's a noun. It's something you are, not just something you do, because who you are then predicates what you do. So it's not a verb. So when someone says, right, hey, uh, Jocelyn, who are you discipling? Now, don't be a jerk. But that's the same thing as saying, Jocelyn, who are you following? Who are you Christianing? Who are you believering? 
it actually doesn't make a lot of sense. Now, we understand what they're saying, but typically what we mean is, who are you mentoring? But that's a good word for it. But mentorship alone isn't discipleship, because discipleship is everything. And this is important to know, lest you walk into the room and say, I'm not being discipled, because your definition is this, and Jesus' definition is everything. You are being discipled, and we need parts of all those things, but don't make one thing the thing. And I think that's dangerous for us because we stop looking at what it means to be a disciple. Let me give you maybe a better word. What is a disciple then? I think uh, a student is not a great word for us. Again, we don't use the word disciple in our culture, in our vernacular. A better word, and it's not even perfect, but a better word for our culture is an apprentice. Here's a definition of an apprentice. A person bound in due form of law to a master to learn from him his art, trade, or business, and to serve him during the time of his apprenticeship. Like a person that's a master in that art, in that trade, in that business, and you want to literally sit at their feet and not just know what they know, but be who they are. So it's more than just a classroom or a meeting. You are with them constantly learning how they do things, not just what they do well. It is a walk. It is a journey somewhere with someone else. Now, it's not a perfect definition in our culture, because there's limitations there, but that's in essence what Jesus was calling people to. Not just listen to my teaching, but be like me. Because we need a lot of little Jesuses, that's what the word Christian means by the way, little Christ. We need a lot of little Jesuses in this world to change it. We need God filling us in order to glorify him and point people to him to change the world. But it takes all of us, not a part of us. And it literally takes all of us because the glory of God is so vast it cannot be contained in one person alone. Discipleship then is not just a part of you, it's all of you. And here's the thing. The question with this is not, are you a disciple of Jesus? But we said this before, a couple weeks ago, who or what are you a disciple of? Because everyone in this room is following or apprenticing under something or someone. And that's not just my idea. The Bible in the book of Romans says this, do you not know that if you present yourself to anyone as obedient servants, you are servants of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. John 8, 34 says, Jesus stands up, he says, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave of sin. We are all practicing a way. We all have a, we are all being indoctrinated in some type of way. Don't think there's not an indoctrination in all ways. And it's just like religion is indoctrinating. Everything is indoctrinating you. In fact, you are not a customer in this world. You are a product and you are just being divided and people are just trying to get your attention in order to sell you something because you're the product. There is a way, there is a path. You know this when you search something on Amazon and then it pulls up on Facebook. You are a product 
And the world is just trying to get your attention. And Jesus is saying, I want your attention. The question isn't, are you a disciple of Jesus, but what or who are you a disciple of? Because there's a path, there's a way that you are thinking and following whether you realize it or not. And Jesus offers us to follow him. Wow, that's amazing. Can you imagine if the person that you look up to the most, the person you've read the most books, like for me, I love C.S. Lewis. And so if C.S. Lewis was alive and popped here and was like, Chris, I want you to follow me and be like me and you get to go everywhere I go to Oxford and teach and all these kind of things. I'd be like, oh my goodness, wow, you pick me. And Jesus says, I pick you. Not because you're so special and amazing, but because I love you even though you were a sinner and all you need is nothing and no one seems to have it. A disciple of Jesus then is what? Not just a disciple, but a disciple of Jesus. What is that? Here's a quick kind of simple way to clarify not just what it's not, but what it is. This is someone who gives their whole life to, I would say, three things. Their whole life to, number one, be with Jesus, become like Jesus, and do what Jesus did. This is so important to understand in a world that is constantly pulling you for continuous partial attention into a state of constant conscious communion with God. Jesus in Matthew 28, after he's died, resurrected, one of the last things he tells his disciples, verse 18 says this, Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. It's called the Great Commission. Baptizing them, or listen, don't just think of water, but immersing them. That's what baptizing means. Immersing them in the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded my way. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. I love that last part. Behold, I am with you. Number one of discipleship is being with Jesus. And listen, that's the responsibility on the individual. It's easy to go, I'm not being discipled here, or these people aren't doing this. Are you with Jesus? If you've given your life, this is the most important part of discipleship, is devoting yourself to be with Jesus. In fact, after this, the disciples, and at least 120 disciples, are praying in an upper room in Acts chapter 2. And they've heard the Great Commission, go and make disciples. And they're praying. And all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit shows up. Read it in Acts chapter, chapter 2. And Peter gets up and preaches, preaches the gospel of Jesus. This is the one you crucified. And, and the people, there's thousands of people there. And, and they go, what must we do to be saved? And Peter says, repent and believe on Jesus, right, as your Savior and Lord. Be baptized, be immersed. And then we see the effects of discipleship. I think this is one of the best things to study when it comes to what it means to be a disciple. Look what it says, Acts 2, 42. And they, who's they? These people, these thousands of people that converted 
to Jesus that came to Christ. It says, and they devoted themselves. The first part of discipleship, I will be with you always, being with Jesus. Listen, no church, no program, no person can make you devote yourself. There's personal responsibility when you've had a, a, a understanding and the God of the universe impact your life and understand the weight of sin and God relieves you that now my personal responsibility of discipleship, number one, is to be with Jesus and to devote myself. And what is it that they devoted themselves to? Discipleship. Following Jesus. And the, this is a part of it. To the apostles' teaching. So is teaching a part of discipleship? Yeah. You need to know the scripture. And to the fellowship, is, do I need other people in order to be a disciple? Yeah. Yeah. You need people. You need the giftings and love and passions. Even in the midst of hurt, a lot of us have heard church hurt, joined the crowd. But listen, you're only hurt the most by the people that you put the most into. Some of you guys are going to realize maybe you're dating and we've never fought. We've never had a conflict. And then you get married and we're like, yeah, this happens. Because the person that you've sh shed the most to can hurt you the most. But that's part of the risk is that I'm willing to risk being hurt because I trust you that ultimately, even though you're flawed and failed, we love each other. We have church hurt a lot because you opened yourself. Don't close yourself up. But no, that's part of it because you've opened yourself. And let's fight for unity, fellowship. This is more than just hanging out. This word is in the Greek koinonia. It's a deep sense of trust and fellowship bonding us together. To the breaking of bread. This isn't just eating. Let's come have a potluck. Churches are good at that. Um, this is actually the breaking. This is communion. This is a sacrament. This is where you confess sin with, with and to someone else. And you're reminded of the bread and the brokenness of the body of Jesus and the blood. And you're reminded that I'm in this not because I'm so amazing, but because he is. And I offer you the same love and forgiveness. We're going to break bread and do communion tonight as a church at one church. And it says this, and to the prayers. They devoted themselves to prayer part of discipleship. Yeah. The prayers. These are specific prayers. Deuteronomy 6, like the Shema, which is hero Israel. The Lord our God is one God. You should love the Lord with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. As well as the Lord's Prayer. And this isn't just saying it and just repeating it, but living it and breathing it. Lord, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 43, and subsequently what happened? An awe came over every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles in the midst of a devotion to community and prayer and people and fellowship and teaching in the midst of that, being made a disciple because all of my life is now God's, God shows up. And I love the word signs because a sign always points you to something. So it's not the miraculous that happened to everybody. Ooh, ooh, this is amazing. But it points to Jesus being Lord and being God. 
And it's a sign that makes us wonder, oh, wow, there's more going on in this life than what I thought. Because this is a supernatural relationship to be with Jesus. Verse 44, and all who believed were together. That might be the greatest miracle. We think of like healed people and, and, and people raising from the dead. And yet, how hard is it to actually get us together in a unity and accord and agreement? It takes love to do that. And they had all things in common. What's mine is yours and yours is mine. This is a part of social responsibility which is a part of being a disciple. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had needs and effective discipleship relationship is being with Jesus. I'm starting to become like Jesus because you become who you behold. And now it's affecting my life so much. I'm distributing needs to others and thinking outside of myself and social responsibility. It continues, verse 46, I like this, and day by day, discipleship is day by day, not just a moment, not just a program. It is every day because Jesus is taking you on a path, on a journey. What did they do? I love this, day by day. They attending, uh, attending the temple together, which is large gathering of believers, hundreds or thousands in the temple for teaching and instruction. It's kind of like Sunday morning. So to them, that's important and breaking bread in their homes. And they had small groups and they went into homes, which is why as a church, we have Sunday morning and we don't disdain that because this is a part of discipleship, being a disciple. But if this is all there is, God help us. But so many times we can get in that small group and man, life is happening and it's amazing. And you're like, well, I don't need this anymore. And see, they had the temple and they had homes. You need personal relationship and fellowship and you need corporate relationship and fellowship to serve one another and love one another and impact our gifts with one another. It says, they receive food with glad and generous hearts. A disciple is someone who has generosity. They receive their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. I love this. Their love for one another and their habits and way of following Jesus was producing people to go, oh, I, I want to be a part of that. I respect that. I honor that. As Jesus said, you will know my disciples by their love for one another, not their fighting and backbiting. It says, and the Lord subsequently looked, he added to their numbers day by day, those who were being saved. So let me surmise this as we wrap up here. Our church, we're passionate our movement, every nation, is passionate about making disciples. That's the mandate of Jesus. Not just making converts, not just having good attendance, but making disciples. People that say, his way is the best way, let's go together. And we do this, we call it being Christ-centered, spirit-empowered, socially responsible. Christ-centered is the being with Jesus. In my life, the Lord totally changed the trajectory of my path in my personal relationship with him. I've gotten amazing things and, and we need each other, but that be with Jesus aspect is so crucial. I remember, and many of you have heard this story, but I was in university getting a degree in practical theology in Brownwood, Texas at Howard Payne University, and I, I had a late shift working, and it was almost midnight, and I'm driving 
uh, home, on my way home, and we're in, it's just a 35 mile per hour, but the car in front of me is going 20. Anybody know that? That's called Tuesday in Houston, right? Every day, somebody is just, come on, you know? And it's so frustrating, especially when you're ready to go home. I've got a mission. I've got a path. I know the way home. Get out of my way. And I pictured myself literally, and I'm, I'm not just inherently a jerk. I probably think too, care too much about what people think and working on that. And I, I remember thinking, I'm just going to go around them like, you know, shove the gas and like let them, you know, see my love for them. And I was ready to pass and I saw myself do that. And immediately the Lord spoke to me and he said, you're trying to do that with me. And he said, I'm the lead car like NASCAR. I'm the lead car and you're trying to go around and you're going to go around me and you're going to look in your rearview mirror. And I turned a long time ago because the goal is following me, not following you. Not getting to my path your way, but going my way, in my ways. And it totally changed the trajectory of my life in every aspect. And I'm telling you that concept of Christ-centeredness and going his way, you have to be devoted to be with him, to have time with him, to let him minister to your soul out of his word and from his spirit as well as becoming like him, being spirit-empowered and ultimately doing the things that he does and social responsibility. So we would say a disciple, someone who's Christ-centered, spirit-empowered, and socially responsible, which is all of your life. You might say, I just don't feel like a disciple. When's the last time you came and showed up for prayer? We offer it every Wednesday. Is praying a part of discipleship? You better believe it. Corporate prayer, private prayer. When's the last time you showed up expecting God to move in a corporate service? When's the last time you showed up to a social responsibility opportunity like yesterday we had to be able to say, I'm going to give my life because that's a part of discipleship. Now, I'm not preaching that you have to be perfect and you have to do everything perfectly. The Bible says though we stumble, we will fall. We're reminded of the perfect one, but ultimately following his way is what it's about. So here's the final question. And here's what it all comes to. Is who or what are you a disciple of? If you're a disciple of something, I think it's good in our heart. Maybe you say, I've, I've given my life to Christ. I've con- converted to Christ. I even know my experience, but maybe I'm looking at my life today. I'm going, I'm not following I'm following my way or this way or some other way. I'm not following the way of Jesus. And the Bible would say, we need to repent. We need to be a church that is okay with saying, I'm in the wrong and I need to go the right way. Humility, I I would say, is the currency of the kingdom of God. And that's where it starts. God, I repent. I change the way I act and think. And I want to follow you in all your ways. Why don't you stand to your feet? And we're going to close with worship. And we don't just worship kind of as a nice way to end the service. But it literally becomes a heart cry in our heart to say, your love is enough. You're the one I want. I'm following after you. And at the end of service, after some next steps, we're going to have an opportunity for you to come and receive prayer for any needs because God cares about all of your life, not just a section. Father, I thank you, Lord, that you are glorified, and I pray 
God, as your presence fills this place, that we will submit to you in loving response to follow your way in Jesus' name.